available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Recording this one, both of us are in our homes we're not going to have any of the sound effects today, so I do apologize. And we got to go through the power rankings and all the games where there's lots of opportunities to press those buttons and play those sound effects. So I'm sorry you're not going to get those today. But we got a special, it's a special day because today, I don't know, many years ago, David Woods was born. And now we get to enjoy him here on the Podcast of Champions. But I just want to wish you a happy birthday, partner. It's, uh, it's, it's been fun five years doing this with you, and hopefully we get a lot more. Yeah, like one or two at least. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Um, I'm a little unnerved that you weren't thrown off by me doing game show announcer voice um, in the opener. <laughs> like, I, I think you were a little too comfortable responding to that. Um, so I think you need to look inward about that. But I appreciate you looking outward in this moment to wish me a happy one. Uh, yeah, 35 years. Wow. 35? You're just a yeah. baby. I mean, I could run for president. That's true. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. I mean, that's the big that's the big milestone for this one um, is that I could I could rule this country with an iron fist. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's it's been a pleasure, like I said, and uh, we didn't know we delayed this a day or Dave de- delayed it a day, not realizing we were going to record on his birthday. But we are recording your birthday. So it's a, it's a treat for everybody. And I'm sure a treat, a treat for us, a treat yeah. for us, for sure. Uh, and again, apologize. Don't have the sound effects. But if you want to, like, email us. Uh, you can do that, pack to a podcast at gmail.com. Haven't even looked at the emails yet, so maybe there's a lot, maybe there's not. Probably a lot. Uh, I try to check these beforehand. I haven't got a chance to do that today, so we'll be going in blind because I know David hasn't looked at them. Uh, if you want to call or text us, 424-532-0678 is the number. You can tweet us at pack to a podcast, the website, pack to a the Reddit, which I've been posting some stuff on the Reddit page, Podcast of Champions. I put our updated uh, schedule on there. David, have you seen that? Do you like that? I put the little X's over all the canceled games. I do. I like it when you update it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it really uh, underscores how much uh, there shouldn't be a football season right now. But it's very nice. I like <laughs> that you do it. This week, uh, only one game cancellation and one game movement from oh, a only. to a Saturday. Great. Yeah, only yeah. one. Hey, but it's it's Thursday. When did they all happen last week? Friday. Yeah. So it's below, we're below average. So, but we did, at least we can talk about a game cancellation this week. The last two recordings, we didn't get to talk about it because they happened after we recorded the show. Um, but, and Dave mentioned this earlier on a tweet uh, when I tweeted a happy birthday message to him for Apple Podcasts. If you have an Apple podcasting app on any of your devices, your iPhone or your iPad, any of those, you can subscribe and rate us, leave us some 
positive uh, feedback reviews, negative feedback reviews, but always leave those five stars. That's what's important. And I and Dave complimented my tweet because it had the right mixture, the good ratio of uh, complimentary aspects of it and being critical a little bit along with the five stars. So uh, I we, think that we, was right. And we have another one, a new one that I think does a nice job as well. Oh, okay. This is from Mr. Steal Your Fish. Uh, history, philosophy, and sometimes Pac-12 football. Looking for a great podcast to fall asleep to? Look no more. Just play any episode and you will fall asleep in minutes until that obnoxious guitar riff plays during intermission. Seriously, this is the podcast for all things Pac-12 football without actually discussing Pac-12 football. It's also a platform for their ghost host, Hithliday, or however you spell it. Overall, subpar podcast with a balanced mix of views. David, the pessimistic realist, and Ryan, the naive optimist, have you covered five stars. Thank Aww. you, Mr. Steal Your Fish. Very nice. Thank you for that. Yeah, we do appreciate it. It does help. It really does help grow the show, and we've been growing, which is awesome. Um, I know it's been a weird year for everybody, so hopefully everyone's out there staying safe. But we, you know, and if we can entertain you a little bit, uh, that's what we're here for. So we appreciate that, and thank you for the review. Um, we should just jump into some newsy stuff, Dave. You think? Let's jump into the news. So the like I mentioned, there was one game canceled earlier in the week. So Arizona State uh, still has COVID issues, so their game uh, against Colorado. It was a home game for Colorado, so the, the Sun Devils are supposed to go to Boulder. That has been uh, canceled. So Arizona State had that heartbreaker to USC in the opener uh, where they had a 99% whatever chance to win and lost. Game with Cal is canceled. Game with uh, Colorado is canceled. So um, that's, a, that's a rough one. Uh, and Colorado could be in play for some other games, potentially – uh, playing like a Colorado State that also had their game canceled because the Pac-12 announced today, David, that they could play out-of-conference games. There's some stipulations, but you basically have to meet. You have to go to the the, the Pac-12 stadium and play it at, at the Pac-12 stadium, but you also have to meet the testing standards, which apparently the Mountain West doesn't do right now. But if Colorado State started testing every day, I think they could potentially play the game. I don't know. What, what do you think about that and, and the chances that Colorado actually gets a game here? I... I- Honestly, on its face, it sounds like it's going to be a little bit too much of a logistical nightmare uh, to make it all happen. Um, the Pac-12, you know, lowering the guardrails at this point, I don't know how helpful it is. I think that's the sort of thing they needed to build into their plan from the beginning so that you could have, you know, just uh, a little bit longer to plan ahead um, for, you know, eventualities, like have a couple of backup options if your initial one falls through. Um, it sounds crazy. It sounds stupid, um, like kind of everything does. It makes sense, I think, for Pac-12 teams to be kind of flexible, um, you know, where Cal and UCLA were able to pull, pull a game off after a couple of days notice um, because, you know, they're all geared up to kind of play a league schedule and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what the point is of Colorado playing Colorado State aside from just money grab. Um, like, I don't it, I, I don't know. I, I think the whole thing is is, um, you know. I, I think it's all very stupid and I'm having a hard time um, getting around that initial point to get into like the particulars of whether or not Colorado should schedule Colorado state or Northern Colorado or whatever other entities exist in the state of Colorado. I just think if you get your game canceled, well, if another PAC 12 team gets its game canceled, then you can play them. But otherwise you just have to sit out the week and that's yeah. fine. Like I, I don't think they should bend over backwards to try to schedule 
some random non-conference opponent. I just don't know what the value is. Yeah, and I, I misspoke there. I, mean, I wanted to the viability of what you think of that. But Colorado already came out and said that they weren't going to be able to play Colorado State. Like, in the future, if the game was canceled, they could potentially do that. But um, it was just going to be too quick of a turnaround, which is kind of along the lines of what you were saying. Yeah, they needed to build it. If they wanted to do and have that plan, they could have done that from the beginning. Um, I, I think doing it midway through the year, it's just a uh, nice thought, but it should have come earlier. Yeah, and the, the only option, really, it looks like for Colorado is – if for some reason Utah ends up canceling at the last minute, Utah is hosting USC this weekend. Uh, USC and Colorado are scheduled to play in week four. So what could happen is they could move that game up and Colorado could come to the Coliseum and play on Saturday. So instead of USC going to Utah, once Utah canceled and then once Arizona State canceled, you could move that game up with Colorado and, and USC. And then there would be some options in week four, um, you know, for both of those teams, but that, you know, maybe you go back and, and Arizona state can play. And so Colorado plays Arizona state in week four instead, and maybe Utah would be available by week four. And then USC travels to Utah for that, uh, for that game. So that's, that is one of the options. If we get a last second Utah cancellation, at least, you could move up the Colorado game for, and then it sort of keep the, the schedule going just by swapping those weeks. A dizzying array of possibilities. <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested to see because USC. I know one of the things is like the equipment trucks, and I'm sure USC's has had to leave already for Utah. Yeah. Um, whether they might flip that game. So if if Utah for whatever reason canceled, maybe they would have to flip the home and away because it's a lot easier, I think, for that equipment truck to get from Salt Lake City to Denver than it is to get it all the way back to L.A. on short notice. Oh, that's true. They could potentially do something like that. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But and that's the only other thing I mentioned, the UCLA-Oregon game was supposed to be on Friday. That was pushed to Saturday. And so we have a, a time for that. That's a 12.30. We'll get to that later, but it's a 12.30 game. Um, I don't remember exactly what was the reason they did that earlier too, right? I don't remember the it reason. It was because the sun, it was because UCLA Cal got pushed to Sunday, so oh, it would have yes. been a really really short turnaround for the Friday game. Gotcha. Yeah, I should remember that, but I did not. So okay, cool, um, awesome. All right, so there was that. Uh, as far as non conference games, we know about that. The uh, the suicide pool, the, the you want to call it survival pool, whatever you want. Um, it lasted two weeks, David. It's over. No <laughs> but we do have a winner. Everyone, Not everyone lost. Not everyone lost. So there was 26 people that survived um, week one. Uh, only one person survived week two. So it's Kim. Uh, we have uh, the email address. Um, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, Kim. Assume woman. I don't know. But we'll uh, we'll email that person and... Uh, and congratulate them and give them their nice prize, which I don't think will be anything, but we'll just say hello and, and say thank you for that. Um, but we want to mention Kim on the air. Um, so they have the results. So the, as far as people that for week two, 17 people pick Washington, one took Oregon, one took USC, and nobody took UCLA or Colorado. Um, the losers, 10 people had Stanford, seven people had Cal. I was one of them. And uh, no one had Arizona, Oregon State, or Washington State. Um, so a couple of people didn't change their the, the canceled games. Someone had Utah and someone had Arizona State. But only one person had two wins. There was 15 people that had one win, one loss. Uh, 
uh, one person had two losses and then uh, there was a couple of people that didn't submit picks and then the rest were cancellations. So congratulations to Kim. Uh, that was a crazy survival pool. I, I was going to put in, it's funny. So I had to change, I think I had Utah and I had Washington. I had to change the Utah pick because that game got canceled. And I was going to put in Colorado. And I'm like, wait, Colorado's like a seven-point underdog. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll put Stanford in. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And then the, the Cal game happened. I'm like, okay, I'll just put Cal in. And then that ended up being uh, wrong. Okay. Yeah. They, wh- who would you would, – would you have got like – so? Oh, I would have definitely picked Cal. You would have picked Cal. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the most – people had – Stanford and Cal, which I don't get that. I mean, I wasn't on the Stanford uh, bandwagon there, but I almost, I almost did. My initial thought was pick Colorado, but there was like, it's hard to pick a seven point underdog. Like, geez, isn't there a better option? Um, but you know, apparently there was not. All right, well, we got to break. We got to uh, do our Pac Pac twelve uh, recap and uh, going around the the conference. But before I do that, I want to tell you about my bookie with the holiday season upon us. We come together to celebrate with traditions as old as time, turkey dinners, NFL games on the slate, and the return of my bookie's Turkey Day free play. You heard that right. It's back. This week only, sign up to get your first deposit matched halfway, and you'll receive $250 risk-free bet on the Texans-Lions full game spread. So how does it work? Make your deposit, place a bet on the early game spread, and if you win, you win, and that's cash in your pocket. But if your bet goes sideways... Don't even sweat it because they got you covered with a refund of up to $250 on your wager, credited directly back to your MyBookie account. That's risk-free. It's great. So celebrate Turkey Day with MyBookie and use promo code PAC12 to claim your deposit bonus all the way up to 1000 bucks and grab your $250 risk-free bet. That promo code PAC12 to claim your b- deposit bonus and the bet. If you've been on the fence about playing, don't miss out on this opportunity. And you'll want to get in early because the following day, my bookie is cranking up the heat with our boosted odds Black Friday special. Log in every hour for a new deal from 10 a.m. Eastern to 11.30 p.m. Eastern. The value just keeps on coming and the players keep on winning. That's why they call football season winning season at my bookie. Check it out now. No risk. All gravy, baby. Two hundred fifty dollars free bet, man. Then we got. I think we got to jump on that. We we even can't screw that up, Dave. No, we cannot do it. <laughs> we could try. We will, but <laughs> inevitably, inevitably. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's see. I guess we're going to have to jump. And I don't have the music. It's oh, we don't have the the Pac-12 music. But we got to go through twelve roundup. Do 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 do. Uh. All right. We got to recap all of the games. In the Pac-12, and we got to go. Uh, we're going to go backwards to forwards as far as the. Oh, um, you just went with mine. You didn't even aggregate them. Hell yeah. I I didn't at all. Yeah. So you gave me power rankings, and since I gave birthday, Ryan insane power rankings, so they're this is going to be exciting for everyone. They're insane, but it's your birthday, so I'm not going to change them at all. I was just going to yeah. keep them the way you had them. So if you don't like that, say. I don't know. The University of California is now the number 12 team in the power rankings. I'm sorry, but that's just the way David came up with it. So our first game, we had our number 12 Cal Bears. And Ooh. now, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ooh. Right. And Something the, like that. Yeah. And the number eight UCLA Bruins. Ooh. 
Isn't it just a louder <laughs> roar? I think it's sort of a louder roar, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so this was an easy one, I think, actually, to pick them 12th because they lost to the worst team in the Pac-12, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Wow, this game. Um, okay, so this one got rescheduled. It was obviously very weird. Um, it was not on the schedule when we recorded last week, and then it suddenly was very soon thereafter when uh, UCLA-Utah was canceled. Um, and they pulled it off at 9 a.m. on Sunday. So kudos to everyone for actually getting it done and uh, getting that whole thing going. Um, UCLA blew them out. Like and blew them out hard. Like this was uh, a dominant performance, um, really on both ends for UCLA. Um, I was so obviously there was some some pleasant surprises from UCLA. They were a little bit more aggressive on defense. They ran actually a tempo offense in the first half on uh, on the other end and ran the ball with Dorian Thompson Robinson extensively. So those were all like kind of pleasant surprises. But there was one thing that shocked me in this game, and that was just how terrible Cal looked on both ends. Um, I thought the offense uh, returning, what, 10 starters from last year looked miserable. Uh, The offensive line was horrible. Chase Garbers looked the worst I've ever seen him play. Um, And like in odd ways, too, obviously wasn't throwing it well or running it well or anything. But he also was just falling over. Like guys would get a hand on him and he would just kind of tip over. It was really odd um, just how easily he was getting, you know, just brought to the ground. Um, But offensively, they looked awful, Um, weren't able to generate anything. Um, It was just a miserable performance. And some of that was UCLA. They were bringing a lot of aggression. Um, But it was uh, basically Cal had one drive in this game and otherwise it was just nothing. Um, And then defensively, I mean, UCLA was able to kind of dictate at different points of this game, um, especially in that first half when the game was still in doubt. Like they put up 27 points by halftime and it finished 34-10. It was 27-10 at half. Uh, UCLA just kind of took the air out of the ball in the second half. But um, Cal looks bad. Um, And some of that may have been the defensive line not being able to practice the last couple of weeks and they were down a couple of guys. I get it. Um, But even if you use that as an excuse, Cal, Cal does not look good. No, and I, I mean, I think it was a little over, bit of an overreaction to put Cal 12th because we didn't know. I mean, first of all, kudos to the Pac-12 for putting this game together. Uh, we give them a lot of grief. Uh, I don't think any other conference has done anything like this, right, like that, that we've seen where they could reschedule a game that quickly. For UCLA, I mean, you get to play this game at home. Um, you know, Cal, you had pretty much the whole defensive line was in quarantine, right? Like they probably didn't practice for two weeks and it looked like it. And, but you know, even the offense didn't look good. They just didn't look like they were a well put together team. And the question is how much of it is COVID stuff and how much of it is Cal's just not that good. I think David went full uh, on. How much of it is Bill Musgrave? Bill Musgrave potential. Yes. They, I mean, my boy Chase Garbers did not look great. Uh, that's his first loss, you know, when he's played more than half of the game since he's been at Cal. That's it was a little, you know, certainly concerning. I think if you're a Bears fan, um, but could you know is Cal capable of bouncing back and looking like kind of what we thought they would with a week of you know actual practicing and things like that, where they went through a lot, you know, and the fact that they were able to get guys out of quarantine, like basically in the nick of time to play this game. In the back of my mind, I still think that has something 
to do with it. But I, it, early on, I thought Cal's defense did pretty good stopping, uh, you know, Dorian Thompson Robbins from throwing the ball, but they could not stop the run at all. Um, you know, the, and it's just, to me, it just looked like UCLA was running uh, this, an offense that actually looked like smart and good and like it was effective and physical and they're pushing people around. And I was like, wow, this is great. And then they started being able to throw the ball a little bit more too. So I don't know, to me, it's just like, you still look like a much different team than what we saw the week before. And is that because, well, you got a, you know, you got a game under your belt and things are, or, or was Cal just that bad? I think you're leaning towards the Cal is just that bad camp. Yeah. I think a big part of it is Cal was just that bad. I, I, I'm a little bit less optimistic about them than I think you are, but I, I think they might be bad. And I think a lot of it might be the the changes um, they've made coaching wise. Cause I mean, it's not that offense wasn't good last year. I'm not going to say that, but it, it didn't look as completely anemic as this one does. I mean, this, Oh God, this looked horrible. Um, and the offense was able to practice. So I think that's a, I mean, just, you know, obviously not knowing the inner workings of it. I think that's a coordinator issue and in the install and whatever it's, it doesn't look like it's going well. Um, but defensively, I mean, Cal allowed three straight full field touchdowns um, in that first half. Like UCLA went 15 plays, 88 yards, nine plays, 71 yards, five plays, 67 yards on three straight um, possessions. That's, that's bad. That's really bad defense. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't think I don't think there's a lot good here uh, with Cal. Um, you know, this is one that we were talking up in the preseason um, as a potential North contender uh, for the you know reasons we've mentioned. They were returning a ton of production, especially on offense. Um, but with their decision to change to more of a pro style offense where you've got Chase Garbers going under center uh, more than he ever should, uh, I'm I'm really worried that estimation is going to be off. And what you're going to end up with is a defense that lost a lot, you know, lost Devin Weaver, um, coupled with an offense that um, lost whatever little mo- mojo it had. And what you end up with is a relatively untalented team um, without uh, high upside schemes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to scout team 110 yards in the first half. Uh, I liked what UCLA was doing on defense. They looked like they were being really aggressive. Like they were going to stop the run on first and second down and then drop back into more coverages and, and, and not allow Cal to throw the ball on third down. There was a lot of man to man stuff uh, early on. So they would take risks and it was, whenever they took a risk, it seemed to work, you know, like if they were, Hey, we're going to, we're going to, make you throw the ball on those early downs and Cal wouldn't, they'd run the ball and they'd stop it. Um, and the, the momentum, when you st- saw the beginning of this game, Cal blocks a punt to start the game. Right. And, but the UCLA defense held and, and Cal had to kick a field goal at that point. You're like, wow. And then UCLA was running the ball, throws it, you know, a tip pass and it gets intercepted. And you're like, things are just not going UCLA's way. But after that, it all went UCLA's way. And just Cal, Cal was given gifts in the beginning of the game and couldn't cash in. And then, you know, UCLA just kind of controlled the football after that. And just I, w- I was impressed with what they did on both sides of the ball. It looked like this defense that was really hungry to come after Cal. Was it the Cal offense being that bad? Maybe. Uh, but the the offense, Dave, too. I mean, obviously it wasn't the blur, but it looked like it looked just like this, it just looked like a, a, a well-established offense that I maybe we haven't seen from UCLA in the last couple of years. Yeah, I would say um 
it's this crazy thing, but when you um, run your offense at some level of tempo, it helps to cover up um, potential deficiencies um, because it takes advantage of a defense's fatigue. Uh, there was an innovator back in the day, um, you know, like late aughts, early, you know, 2010s, um, who was really good at this. He coached at Oregon. Um, <laughs> he was really good at understanding the value of tempo, that you could run simple plays, but if you did them very fast, it can disrupt the defense um, much more so than being like a true X's and O's aficionado, like using tight ends in a bunch of weird ways, but running super slow. Uh, sometimes there's simple value in um, doing like four things really, really well, but at high speed. So it was interesting. I think, um, you know, UCLA's coach Chip Kelly may have been adopting something from that, um, that former <laughs> coach of Oregon's. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, the main thing that I had in the first half was just absolute abject frustration because you're right. It wasn't the blur. What it was is his, you know, uh, basic offense. Though I think he was doing some simpler things run at high speeds, um, which is literally all I really wanted from the very beginning was sure. Do something different, but keep it a tempo offense. I mean, that's, that's your bread and butter. That's what you know how to do. Um, so to see it for stretches of that first half was almost frustrating, you know, cause it's like, well, you could have been doing this the whole time. And I, and what he said after the game or early this week, I can't remember if it was in his post game or in his, um, Monday presser, he said, uh, you know, that was something they put in for Cal because they were down defensive linemen. And that makes me again, well, okay. So it was a situational flavor of the week thing rather than a, a long-term change you're making. Um, so feels like it's kind of you know, arrived at the same conclusion, but for the wrong reasons. Um, so I'm I'm very interested to see this week, uh, and we'll talk about this in the preview section, um, but I'm very interested to see this week if any of that continues. But defensively, yeah. I think you're you're dead on. I mean, the, the amount of aggression we saw, um, guys like Quantrez Knight, um, Caleb Johnson, both looked really, really good, um, and they were blitzing a ton. Uh, again, I think some of that was the offensive confusion for Cal, but I think you have to give it up for UCLA's defense. They actually played really well. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're taking something away. They just seem to always pick the right thing to take away, and it was working. I mean, whatever they were doing, it was working, and uh, Cal just looked anemic. Uh, all right, we'll go to our number 11 team, Stanford. <laughs> what is that one? Oh, that was the, oh, the tree thing. Okay, Is that yeah. a tree falling? Yeah, it, it didn't sound like that at all, but that's okay. I, got, I know what you're talking Dude, about. Dude, I will, I will fight you. <laughs> On your birthday. Uh, and all the way up to number two, we have the Colorado Buffaloes. Wow. That was like so a we, stampede. Was that good? Oh, that was pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Colorado number two. Yeah. So this is on the strength of them being 2-0 and and not looking bad. Like, they, they – the thing is, there are some uh, other undefeated teams in this league who look kind of bad. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, we'll, we'll talk about one probably in a little bit. Um, but Colorado, they've, they're two and oh, and they look fine. You know, they look pretty good. That's, and I think that's really, I'm trying to reassess rapidly cause we don't have a lot of season to work with. Um, and Colorado now has two data points where they look completely competent. Um, and I think a lot of it is built on their line play. Um, offensive line, I thought had another very, very good showing in this game against Stanford, they eventually won 35-32, mostly because they just kind of farted around at the end of the game. Um, but they they had this one, I think, pretty firmly in control uh, by the end of the third quarter. 
Um, it was at that point, what, 28-16? And they were just kind of keeping Stanford at arm's length until the very end where it got kind of close in a back-end sort of way. Um, Sam Neuer, I I mean, I I denigrated our man Sam Neuer as a uh, safety last year, which is true, Uh, but he's throwing the ball pretty well. Um, And I I might have to just completely reassess that one because he looks completely fine throwing the ball, and he's you know, willing to run it and willing to run it with some contact. And, um, and he's been pretty good on those sneaks, um, converting short yardage. Uh, he's getting a hell of a push and then he's himself taking it even further. Um, Jarek Broussard once again, looked really good. Um, you know, he, he's, you know, wasn't expected to be the starter this year, but he's taken that and playing pretty well with it. Um, yeah, Dimitri Stanley looked really good. I mean, their offense, uh, was moving it. Um, and I think Derek Chavarini, who we, Darren Chavarini, who, um, you know, I, I don't think Colorado fans were super impressed with him in his last stint as the offensive coordinator. I think he's called two really damn good games um, so far. Like, it's just struck me like how, you know, Colorado's offense in a way that, you know, Washington's offense never looks that way. Um, USC's offense never looks that way. Colorado's offense looks easy. You know, guys are getting open. Uh, like, Dimitri Stanley, I want to say he had like a short slant at one point that he just took. It might have been for a touchdown or at least it was a really, really long gain. And it was like that was so easy. That was just a three yard pass. That they just turned at full speed and got it, you know, six yards downfield or whatever it was. Um, it just looks easy. And uh, that was impressive. Stanford on its end. Um, yeah, man. I mean, the offense, I think, was a struggle fest, especially early on. Um, just couldn't really convert touchdowns. Um, they kind of did better in the second half, but uh, the inability to run the ball, um, I think, is obviously uh, pretty horrific for Stanford. Um, if you can't run the ball in this offense, uh, it's just not going to look very good. Um, it was a lot of Dinkin and Duncan from Davis Mills. Um, just he had to throw the ball 56 times, but he only averaged 5.8 yards per throw. I mean, 56 times and you're only getting 327 yards out of it. That's a really inefficient day. Um, but yeah, overall, I was impressed with Colorado. I think the final score is a little deceptive. I thought they really controlled this game from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, real quick before I forgot to mention what we picked for the Cal. So Cal UCLA um, was a late ad and David tweeted out. It was a two-point spread, and he was taking Cal. I agreed on Twitter and took Cal. Um, so we both got that one wrong. Uh, that was the only game I got wrong. I got the rest of these right. But I asked David, I'm like, are we counting that one? He's like, yeah. So if there's going to be a makeup game, Dave and I will come up with a pick afterwards that will count towards our total. But we didn't get to talk about it on the show. Yeah. Um, this yeah one no, what we're not going to do is change our picks based off of, like, personnel things. Like, if yes. a guy goes down, whatever, we're just sticking with our stuff. Okay. This one we both got right. We both took Colorado. Stanford was a six and a half point favorite, which just didn't make sense at all. Um, okay. Early on, I got to give some props. Our boy Jet Toner hit a field goal early. And like you mentioned, they were kicking field goals. So I thought actually Stanford was playing pretty well early on. Um, there was a, uh, what they had a, an interception on a deep Colorado pass early on. It kind of looked like a punt. But whenever they got anything going, it was, Stanford kicks a field goal. Colorado scores a touchdown. I think it was 14-9 Colorado late in the second. And it was just that kind of theme where Colorado, when their drive worked, 
they found the end zone. When Stanford's drive worked, they end up kicking a field goal. I mean, they were at one time they were fourth and one inside the 10 and, you know, could have gone for it and tried to get the touchdown and they get a delay of game penalty and then they got to kick the field goal again. So that was sort of a common theme for me. And then, you know, Stanford made a, a good run, you know, at this late, but uh, you got to give props to Colorado. They, they felt like they were in control, even though Stanford came back a little bit and made the game uh, closer than it was. And I don't know. I mean, Carl Durrell, like I, we underestimated Herm Edwards uh, early on. I'm not sure we're underestimating Carl Durrell or not, or if, you know, you keeping some of those assistants and everything has worked out, but for what they've been able to do, having no spring practice, like really coming in late, only zoom meetings, really not knowing his guys that well, they've done something right. Like you can't, even if he's not, if you don't want to give him any credit, you, he has to have been done some things right to be where they are. Oh, no, I'm, right I, I'm I'm on board with giving him a ton of credit because that's not an easy situation to manage. And I think he's managed it the smart way, which was initially retaining a bunch of that staff. And then from what the looks of it, that Colorado offense looks nothing like any Durrell offense I've ever seen. So I think he's being pretty hands off there. And that's that is super smart um, first. And I, I, I want to give him and this isn't like facetious credit. A lot of coaches are control freaks and insane. So coming into a season and saying, look, you're just going to run more or less what you were interested in running. Uh, that's smart. And then second, um, he's I, well, and that's really just the main thing, actually, is that he's not trying to install his stuff. Um, it looks nothing like anything I've ever seen from Carl Durrell offensively. And that's a good thing. And then the other thing is that just Durrell. Uh, it, at the time, certainly appeared very bad. Um, and I don't think you can look back at those five years at UCLA as anything good. But compared to what Neuheisel then did and what Chip Kelly is currently doing, uh, they were it was certainly better than that. I don't. I, I think the idea that Carl Durrell is a horrible coach is way overblown. Um, I think his track record shows, as, at least as a head coach, average to a below, below average. And that was uh, 13 years ago. Um, so... Could he have grown in that time and become a better, you know, manager of, you know, people, better manager of a team, the whole thing? Sure. You know, he might be more mature now and ready to handle it. So I'm I, I, I'm going in completely, you know, open minded about this Colorado team. And frankly, through two games, they've impressed me. I mean, I don't you know, are they the second best team in this league this year? No, probably not. But right now they've been the most convincing in their two wins aside from Oregon. They have, and uh, I'm, you know, definitely want to watch Colorado going forward and see what they can do. Unfortunately, you know, the the game being canceled this weekend, uh, we would love to get one more data point to see what they could do. For Stanford, I'm a little mixed. We both, uh, well, I had Colorado going winless, um, so they're 2-0, which is perfect. But the for the Stanford, they're still getting credit from Vegas. To be a six-and-a-half-point favorite didn't make any sense in this one. I mean, they got blown out by Oregon the week before. Um, I, I don't know why Stanford was a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So I I don't want to see an overreaction there, though. Over, you know, I, I think Stanford could still put it together and beat a pretty good team. Um, but they've, make, they've made some Stanford mistakes. They've made some Stanford decisions that, you know, these David Shaw things, you're just like, what are you doing? Um, but I, they're going to be able to put it together – 
in a couple of these games, I would think. Are, are you like completely down on them that they're not even going to be able to do that? I, I feel like they're close. Still, I think things are still trending down, but it's not like the cupboard's completely bare and they're not going to be able to get anybody. I think they can, but they, uh, you know, they, they're going to have to put a few things together and make some good decisions that maybe you haven't seen the first couple games. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what they can rally to do against Washington State this weekend. Um, you know, that one's at home. It should present an opportunity. Uh, but Washington State looked pretty good. I mean, looking at this schedule coming up, I think the opportunity is against Cal because, like I just got finished saying, I think Cal might be very bad. Um, but, no, I'm very worried about Stanford. I think I think one in five is definitely on the table uh, this year now. Um, they... It just there's nothing that they're like just leaning on. Um, even Davis Mills, I want to say he looks worse than last year. And obviously it's just one game um, against Colorado, but uh, he wasn't taking advantage of that secondary the way Dorian Thompson Robinson was the week before. Like it, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about the Stanford team. I don't, I don't think they're very good. Um, and the defense looks really rough. I mean, both Bayer schools and we, you have them at 12 and 11 I mean, Cal had the COVID stuff, and so that was, you know, that was tough, and the the city of Berkeley not letting them do anything, and then for Stanford, the Pac-12 giving them a, you know, a shit burger, you could say, by giving uh, Davis Mills a false positive and having him be out for the first game, uh, you know, that when you only have six games, that's that's tough, and uh, so I think both of these teams have been a little unlucky early on. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, let's go to our number 10 team, the Arizona Wildcats. And they were on right? the road. Yeah, that's good. And they were on the road. I'm sorry. They were at home taking on our number four team, the USC Trojans. Um, so USC, I, you know, this was just an impressive showing from Clay Helton uh, to show the kind of fortitude um, to dig deep. And this is the second game against an Arizona school. That's not easy. You play back-to-backs against the Arizona State University and then the University of Arizona. Um, not too many not too many teams can walk out of that uh, unscathed. And yet USC did. Um, really just a competitive game. Um, you know, it's just, it's fun when you watch two teams with just the same amount of talent, just throwing blows at each other. You know, just a back-and-forth affair. Uh, you just, it's just, it's just a pleasure to watch because you're like, I don't, I don't know who even should win this game because they're just so equally matched their talent level, their coaching. It's just, you know, it's again, just a pleasure to watch, but USC ultimately pulled it out 34, 30 in very similar fashion, uh, as against ASU, uh, just kind of gutty, uh, tremendous win for Clay Helton, uh, should obviously get a ton of credit for it. All right. So. Uh, he was he versus, was nominated today. Did you see that? <laughs> saw that, and you got you got a deluge of comments. I got um, ratioed on Twitter. So the the Dodd Trophy. So I think I think there was two Pac-12 teams that were nominated. Mario, or co- coaches Mario Cristobal and uh, and Clay Helton. I don't believe there was another one. Um, but yeah, so it's like the coach. Of the, there's like 19 people on this midseason watch list, and Clay Helton was one of them. And I just I didn't say anything about it. I just tweeted. Clay Helton's on this watch list, and I put a picture of like the announcement, and I got freaking ratioed on Twitter. People were so pissed. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't nominate him. Like, that's just, I'm just reporting the news. So, okay, so Graham Harrell's offense last year, I really liked. I thought it was really impressive. This game, 
looked like a return to the like whatever that was T Martin Tyson Hilton Tyson Hilton whatever offense. How many times are receivers actually getting open? It seems like every single time Slovis is sending to a guy who's covered and he just has to like run through a guy to actually get yardage. Like how many times did Brew McCoy have to just catch the ball and just run through his defender to actually gain yardage? I think it was every single time he caught the ball. Yeah. Um, this offense is, it looks atrocious. I wonder if Clay Helton has like seized control in some way again, because it looks so bad. Um, Keaton Slovis, uh, there was a lot of consternation about his ball. I mean, it was coming out of his hand super funny at times, and he wasn't throwing tight spirals. Um, so that was a worry with the offense. But I will say this, Arizona's defense, my man Paul Rhodes, uh, they were doing some things. Um, they were, I think, really disrupting this USC offense at different times. Um, I, I don't think that Arizona defense is very talented at all, uh, but they look well coached. Um, and they were... Um, I think did about as good a job as they could do, given the talent disparity, you know, again, casting aside facetiousness. Um, this I thought was an impressive showing for Arizona's defense. And then offensively, you know, it wasn't, wasn't gangbusters. Um, but it was okay. It was, it was fine. Um, you know, Grant Gunnell, uh, was, was fine. Um, and Gary Brightwell, I thought ran the ball pretty well. Um, but Ultimately, I think the story is just USC's offense once again looking just like a struggle fest for no apparent reason whatsoever. Yeah, um, this was a 14-point spread. Uh, I took Arizona. Dave took USC, so I got this one right. And, uh, by the way, I'm saying that in a game where USC almost had 500 yards and uh, on like 75 plays. So, like, grading on a curve. Right. Yeah. No, they, they've been able to put up yards. Uh, the Trojans have scored eight touchdowns this season, David. Um, four of them have come in the first four, 56 minutes of games and four of them have come in the last four minutes of games. So they've two fourth quarter comebacks, like you mentioned, and really last minute comebacks, uh, heart of a champion. Games. Heart, yeah. heart of a champion. Um, they, yeah, they, they had eight trips in the red zone and only 34 points. And, and Clay Helton said that definitely wasn't good enough. You need to score like 50. They had, uh, three trips in the third quarter. One to the one-yard line, one to the four-yard line, one to the 10-yard line of Arizona, and came away with three points total. So left a lot on there. Um, I was impressed with what Arizona was able to do. We knew they weren't really deep on the defensive uh, side of the ball, especially at linebacker, but the, I thought the front played well. Uh, they didn't really you know, get the Slovis as much, but they did a good job um, just kind of keeping some pressure on them. Um, and I felt like you know, secondary played pretty well considering they were going against these, you know, crazy good receivers. And they, you know, they may have played when they had to, but offensively, they moved the ball and they, they overcame an early turnover, uh, early Grant Gunnell, uh interception that USC turned into a touchdown. And they were able to bounce back uh, from that stuff, get some stops, uh, put some points up. Um, you know, I I thought he played well. They ran the ball very well. And Grant Gunnell, who's not known for his, you know, mobility, was really effective. I think he had six runs that went for first downs. Uh, I mean, pretty crazy what he was able to do. And USC sacked him a few times. And I think, I think if you watch him, I, I, I didn't like stare at him in the, the rewatch, but he held onto the ball a little bit too long. Like he was trying to make a play downfield and he let the pass rush get there. If he could just get rid of it sometimes when, okay, the play's not working out, throw it away or dump it off. I think he would have been even more effective than he was, but he still was effective. And Arizona, you know, 
they had a lead late in the game and USC needed another miracle comeback to, uh, to win. But I was, I was impressed with what I saw from Arizona considering from this was their, from the, this was their first game. Um, they came out and they, they played pretty well. Uh, so maybe they'll be a little feistier and better than we thought, but it, it another one where, all right, if you're the Wildcats and Kevin Selman, you're coming away from this, like, man, we had them beat and lost just, just like, uh, happened with Herm Edwards. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know why you use so many words. USC could be 0-2. They're instead 2-0. and And I think the reason, as we all know, is the man in the hat, Clay Helton. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Dodd, Dodd Trophy Award uh, midseason watch list. Watch list, baby. Yeah. We love those watch lists. I, I, so, you know. We got to write stories for stuff, and that comes out, and I'm like, "All right, I'll write a quick story on this," and it just gets blown up on the message boards. It's just funny, like when stuff like that happens. Um, like if like, oh, Chip Kelly's on the Recruiter of the Year award list. Like, what would the Bruin fans say? Would they oh, be yeah. pretty? Oh they yeah, would, uh, they, they would lose their minds. They would love it. Uh, all right, let's go to our number nine team, the Oregon State Beavers. Uh. <laughs> Ooh, that was pretty good, I think. I All think right. that was good. Uh, and the number three, Washington Huskies. I don't know. I don't know what our dog sounds like. Yeah. You know, that's, it's like I can't picture it on top of my head. Yeah. Um, we both got this one uh, right. Uh, Oregon State, Washington was favored by 13 and a half. Yeah. Um, so this game was, I thought, uh, really interesting. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, and then looking at it, I'm like, why did I think any of that was true? Like, why did I think this was fun to watch? Um, I think it's fun to tweet about Washington, like, cause we've got a lot of Washington followers. So it's kind of fun to like tweet like little inside jokes, like the fact that Dylan Morris isn't named Jake, but he should be named Jake. Um, and that's. You know, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I don't really want to talk about the game. What I want to talk about is the final, uh, gosh, which drive was it? Was it, where did they miss spot the ball? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was, um, Washington was up 24-21. And then uh Oregon State at the end of the third quarter started this long drive downfield where they looked the offense maybe looked better than it had all day like Jamar Jefferson just running the ball Oregon State had a lot of momentum at that point Washington State had just missed a field goal um they looked really really good at that point um and so they're driving it down and they get it to the Washington five so this is where the consternation begins is that the second and four run from the Washington eight, a lot of people thought Jamar Jefferson got the line to gain. A lot of people on Twitter were like, oh, he got it. I was a little iffy on that. Fine. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But the chain gang came out and it was it looked like, I don't know, nine inches, 12 inches short, something like that. You know, nothing major, about a foot. And so they like to go for it on this. Or so that was on the third and one from the Washington five. They like to go for it on the fourth and one from the Washington five um, after not getting it on the previous play. Now, on this play, he very obviously, like very obviously gets like a full yard, if not a yard and a half. Right. Like this thing is OK. 
obvious conversion. Everyone looks away from their TV. Everyone's like, okay, they got it. Now they're going to punch it in. And then we've got a really fun, interesting final, you know, end of this game. Uh, Pac-12 rules that he got no gain, like literally no gain. And they got the chain gang out again to show us that it was once again about nine to 12 inches. And it was the most insane thing I've ever seen. And then they go to commercial. And I think a lot of people were assuming that they were reviewing it at that point. I think very obviously they weren't, or maybe they did it very briefly. Um, for them not to call that as an obvious uh, first down at that point was one of the low-key most insane calls I've ever seen from Pac-12 refs. Because it's not even that you needed replay review to make that. Maybe you don't have the right angle. Um, first, by feel, you should know that. Like, you're looking at the thing— did he did he get anything beyond the offensive line? Because if he did, he get he got it. It it wasn't enough. Like if he just pushed the football past, that's more than enough right there, more or less. Um, and then he they, so they didn't they didn't initially think he got it. Okay, well you're running up to the line, and if you watch the play again, there's there's body language cues you can make from what the offensive and defensive lines look like. They obviously made it. If they didn't make it, you would see the entire Washington defense celebrating. They weren't doing that because they knew Oregon State made it. Everyone on the field, everyone in the stadium, everyone at home knew Oregon State had made it except for that ref. And that was the craziest thing. Like, absolutely bonkers. I'm amazed they made that call. Anyway, that more or less ruined the end of the game because Oregon State would have punched it in. Then Washington would have had to play you know, something besides keep away at the end of the game. And it would have been a more interesting finish. Um, as it was... I was really impressed with Oregon State. Um, I don't think Tristan Jebby is very good, uh, but their run game is. Um, I thought defensively they looked pretty good. Uh, Washington was really impressive in that first half, really, really impressive, and then just basically did nothing in the second half. Um, and I, I think you know, there's, I think there's still some justifiable worries about uh, Donovan as a play caller, as an offensive guy. Um, I think a lot of Washington fans are justifiably concerned that it's functionally no different from what it looked like last year um and you know dylan morris we'll see you know what he ends up looking like but i like where i saw sean mcgrew i like that running back group i mean kamari pleasant and richard newton i thought both looked fine i mean newton didn't uh, have a great average but i like the way he runs um but yeah no i was i was really disappointed in the pac-12 refs in this one and i don't usually i usually lean more on this is funny that wasn't funny like that's that was that was really bad it was bad, and the Pac-12 came out with a statement that they said, basically said, you know, the call that, that was cor- they were correct, and you're like, what? Like they didn't even like they like tripled down on it. Like you know, I that was just bizarre to me, and everyone was just crushing it. Like nobody I saw on Twitter was like, oh yeah, the, the refs got it right on that one. It was just completely bonkers. And um, in a game like this, when it starts the way it does, do you ever get the feeling? That it could be a bad omen. So if you remember the first drive, Washington had to punt. So great, great job. Oregon State gets a stop. The snap goes over the punter's head and Oregon State scores the touchdowns. It's a crazy thing. And it's like, so Oregon State's like a 13 and a half point dog. They just score a touchdown. And like instantly my thought was like, oh man, Washington's going to win this one. You know, like, you know why? Like, does that ever happen? You're like, I, you should be like, oh, that's positive for Oregon State, but just something you felt like they were going to get really high, and then Sean McGrew just kind of ran all over them, uh, the you know, the five seven running back, and uh, man, he was 
I don't know. It, 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 Washington took control of the game, and then, like you said, just everything kind of froze in the second half. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And that that punt. So uh, this is uh, the only key takeaway from that that um, that rocketing um, uh, snap over the punter's head is that they were doing that from the Oregon State 40 on 4th and 6. Look, if you make <laughs> stupid decisions, you're going to be rewarded with stupid prizes, okay? Like, just go for it, you idiot. Um, and I, I, I really don't like seeing that from – well, I really don't like seeing that from new coaches. I think you got to be more aggressive than that. Jonathan Smith did one of those his first year. Um, was it against Ohio State or something? And it's like, buddy, you're playing Ohio State. Just – try and yeah washington you're playing oregon state but whatever you're playing oregon state you don't think you can stop them on their own 40 if they if you turn the ball over on them on downs come on um so it was ridiculous that they were attempting to punt from that position on the field and they got rewarded with what they got rewarded with yeah it was uh i mean it was like 24 21 in this game like forever uh and like washington had the ball inside the Oregon State 10 didn't score. Oregon State had the one, the fourth and one. Uh, didn't score there, but we talked about that. Uh, like the whole fourth quarter went by. You just didn't have any scoring. And I think Washington had like a first and goal with three minutes left after the Oregon State got called for a targeting. So there were some things that didn't go the Beavers' way. And like you said, you know, Washington just sort of hung on uh, to win by six. But, um, you know, Oregon State got the cover. We got the we got that one right. I thought they played a little bit better. Like you said, the, the Oregon State run game looks legit. Uh, you know, defensive side, there were some good, there were some bad. But like letting Sean McGrew kind of run, I don't, I don't remember how many yards he ended up with. But they, I thought Washington ran the ball pretty effectively. Um, so we'll see if Oregon State can kind of shore some of that stuff up and, you know, put it together and get a win. Uh, you know, maybe Washington State's a lot better, and and we we kind of gave them. A, some flack week one for losing to Washington State. But, you know, we think Washington's a good team, and they gave them all they could handle. So, you know, maybe Oregon State's got a win or two uh, down the road here. Maybe. We will see. Okay, so that was uh, number nine, Oregon State. Number eight, UCLA, we already uh, talked about. Uh, number seven, Arizona State Sun Devils. ha <laughs> And then remember what what is our sound for that? Like the COVID something. <laughs> what were we gonna do? COVID canceled. Yes, that's what the thing was. I remember. Okay. Uh, all right. And then we also had uh, number six, Utah Utes. COVID canceled. Another one. Um, all right. Let's go to uh, number five, Washington State. Meow. Nice. Um, and no, it wasn't really a meow. That's unfair. It's it's a it's a. What do you? How do you do a fierce cat? Wow, or something. Wow. I like that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they had a tough one. Number one, Oregon Beavers. Oregon Beavers. Oh my God, Oregon! <laughs> that was wow. just a hell of a day. Wow, Hitlerday just Hitler vomited projectile onto his computer. So uh, quack, 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 quack. The Oregon Ducks. So Hitlerday for, uh, yeah, my apologies to you. Um, this was a 10-point spread. Uh, I got this one right. I had Oregon, and Dave had Washington State. 
Yeah, so this one, um, uh, Washington State really looked <laughs> looked very good. Uh, they had the lead at halftime. Uh, they were up 19 to 14. Uh, Oregon obviously came back and, and pulled away at the end, won eventually 43-29. But I think one of my big takeaways from this was just Washington State, they look pretty damn decent. Um, you know, and, and Jaden Delora, I think, is going to be really good. Um, and this was another kind of data point in that vein. Um, one kind of question I have through now two weeks, and this just kind of came out when I was trying to preview the Oregon-UCLA game, is just um, Oregon's defense. You know, how much of a drop-off has there been? Because um, they did lose some guys, but it wasn't it wasn't like everyone left. Um, they returned a lot of the defensive line. Um, they returned, you know, a lot of the linebacker core besides Troy Dye. Um, they did lo- drop a couple of DBs, but um, the defense is not playing particularly well uh, through two games. Um, but how much of that is Washington State's offense being pretty good? Um, or, yeah, I, I don't think Stanford's offense is pretty good. So, anyway, that was, um, you know, kind of a, an interesting note from this one. The other interesting note is that no matter what you do, no matter what you tell me, Ryan, um, I am not going to know how to pronounce Tyler Shuff, Shug, Shoe. Uh, I will accept any of those besides Uck. There's no way. I'm sorry, my friend. You're not pronouncing your own name correctly. Um, I understand the O-U-G-H in the English language. It's a tough one. You know, we can make it really whatever we want. It can be an oo. It can be an uff. It can be an o. It can be so many different things. But what it absolutely cannot be is an Uck. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't do it. I'm not allowing it. And the unfortunate reality is he's pretty good. So we're going to have to listen to that just being pronounced in our ears for so many years because it probably just won't be at the college level. He's probably going to go play in the NFL at some point, and we're going to have to listen to that. Um, One thing that stood out to me is he's really good at handling the RPO, like his ball handling. He's just really good at kind of doing the little fakes and doing his little dump offs. I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, he runs the ball pretty well for a guy who's not like a true dual threat. Um, and I I think their offense is actually going to carry them, uh, this year. I think there's a lot of good in that running game, um, between Verdell and die Verdell looks a a smidge better than he did last year. Um, I'm not seeing as much of him just like kind of running into his blockers, which would happen on occasion last year. Um, so that was really good. Troy, uh, Travis die caught a great little wheel route out of the backfield. Um, down the sideline at one point. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I thought um, both teams looked pretty good. Oregon turned it on a little bit late, but um, maybe my biggest takeaway was just Washington state again, kind of impressing me. Yeah, they were. I mean, it was a feisty Washington state team. Uh, it was, I think 197 uh, early on and nothing, you know, Washington state was winning. That didn't seem like much was going Oregon's way early and 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 the, the Cougs were definitely pulling out all the stops they went for two uh you know on the first touchdown they to try to squib kick uh that didn't work um but then they end up forcing a fumble and then they get a a, a, Washington, a huge bomb for a touchdown right afterwards like they literally came in say we're going to put as much pressure on Oregon as we possibly can and they did and Aiden Hector well he him? just he- 
Aiden Hector installed magnets in the ball, and then he put those <laughs> in his glove, and that's why he was able to recover three uh, turnovers in this game. Yeah, he had a hat trick. Like, he had an interception and, I believe, two fumble recoveries. Yes. <laughs> like, what the – like, uh, kid out of he's, – he's from uh, the state of Washington. It actually was a Stanford commit, and then, uh, you know, ends up at, at Washington State. But, you know, once Oregon cut that right before the half, they cut it from 19-7. They go in 19-14. Uh, um, I think that – you know, they end up missing a field goal after that, too. They could have made it, you know, 1917, but they at least gave them a little momentum kind of going into the second half when you just kind of assumed, okay, if Oregon's not going to turn the ball over twice in the second half, they're probably going to win this game. I didn't think they would cover because they were a 10 point favorite, but they did come back and cover and then, you know, and they won the game. Um, So I I thought they put it together pretty well. So the what I'm going to, the thing I'm going to question is, Okay, how good really is Washington State? Um, Were they aided? I mean, they forced those turnovers, so it's not like... But, you know, Oregon made some mistakes, too. Um, I don't know. I I feel like this team is going to be definitely better than I thought they would be. Um, you got a freshman quarterback. And that's more what I'm saying, is given given the parameters of what we were looking at, I, I would say... The fact that Colorado doesn't look terrible, given that they were starting with a new coach, and the fact that Washington State, uh, like, I, I think we can firmly say Washington State doesn't look terrible. They look fine, you know? They look like uh, what we've seen from Washington State the last couple years, frankly. Uh, that's really good. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, uh, that's a that's a feather in the caps of both um, Rolovich and Durrell. I didn't think that would happen. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about their game. You know, they got Stanford. They got the Apple Cup and they got USC. I mean, they could make a little run, you know, and and they finished the season with Cal, which looks like a very winnable game. Like, so this goes from a team that you just didn't think was going to do very much to boom, you know, they could, uh, they really could make some kind of run. So uh, we'll see with the Cougs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our uh, recap. We're going to do our previews now. We're going to take a quick break first. Back in a minute. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the podcast of Champions. David, we got to we got to preview some games because, you know, we got a lot going on here in this uh in this crazy week with 
new schedules and teams moving around and all that kind of stuff. And we got a lot of questions to get to. So let's do our previews. Uh, again, apologize. We don't have the sounds. But first we have Cal at Oregon State. I'm not going to do the sounds again. You're not going to okay? do the sounds? Okay. So we have California Gold Bears at the Oregon State Beavers. All right. This is at 12.30 p.m. I, you know, I got to give the people what they want. Cal. <laughs> something like that. Oregon State. <laughs> Um, Very this good. is at 12:30 on FS1. Cal is a three and a half point favorite. Give me the Beavs. Uh, I think the Beavs win this one going away. Um, they are at home. Um, I think they are hungry for a win. I think they probably feel a little bit um, miffed about the way that uh, Washington game ended. Um, I think their run game, based off what I saw of Cal's front last week um, on defense, I think their run game could have a very nice day. I think it'll be a much um, more relaxed performance from Tristan Jebbia. I don't think he's great, um, but I think it'll be a more relaxed performance than against Washington. So I think offensively they're going to be able to um, do a lot against Cal. And then I don't I'm I'm really out on this Cal offense. Um, maybe they'll rebound in this game, but I think Oregon State's defense and the way that they can get after the quarterback, um, I, I think they could cause Cal a lot of issues. So I'm I'm a little surprised that Cal is favored in this game. I like Oregon State outright and I like Oregon State by like two touchdowns. Yeah, I like Oregon State outright, too. So I will take the Beavs. Um I think Cal could bounce back. We it could we could show that Cal was just a it was a COVID thing, and that's basically what it was. And they're better. We've seen Oregon State, unfortunately, because I love to pick them in these spots when they're coming home, and they're good. You think they're going to be like backs against the wall, and they're going to play well. Too many times I've picked them in these situations, Dave, and they just haven't. Um, but I think this is going to be different. I think they're going to play well, and. I want to see a little bit more from Cal when they have a full week to prepare and maybe they will look a lot better or maybe that offense just isn't very good. And, uh, and Chase Garbers isn't going to be able to save them. So I'm going to take the beefs here and I'll agree with you. Let's go on. We got the UCLA Bruins up in uh, Eugene taking on the Oregon ducks. All right. Uh, UCLA is, um, um, and then Oregon is quack, quack, quack. Um, I just love that I'm just sitting here, just making a bunch of noises on like, your birthday. Your thirty neighbors birthday. can hear. It's just great. It's wonderful. You could be the president that, of the United I've, States. I've really succeeded doing. in life. I'm sitting here making quacking noises into a podcast that seven people listen to. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, on at twelve thirty on ESPN two, uh, Oregon is a current sixteen and a half point favorite. The reason this line has moved is that there is a lot of smoke that Dorian Thompson Robinson is not going to be available for this game. The line was thirteen and a half. It's now bumped up to sixteen and a half in like the last hour. Um, we don't know for sure yet. Uh, there's a lot of rumor, a lot of uh, conjecture about it. We've uh, the UCLA site Tracy has reported um, that. It's, you know, there's something going on here. UCLA is not confirming or denying. So um, if UCLA doesn't have Dorian Thompson Robinson in this game, you could not favor Oregon by enough points. Um, they have nothing in their quarterback room behind Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, so Colson Yankoff would more than likely have to switch back to your quarterback real quick um, because Chase Griffin is honestly, I think Chase Griffin will throw seven picks if he's asked to throw the ball against Oregon. Um 
and uh, there's another chase, a walk-on chase, who I can't pronounce the last name of. It's Greek. It's like Artopoulos. Um, he's he's a walk-on, um, but that's basically what their quarterback room is right now. Um, so uh, this game, if Dorian Thompson-Robinson was available, I actually might have liked UCLA um, just to cover. Uh, I think the offense can take advantage of some of Oregon's deficiencies defensively, at least so far this year. Um, I think Oregon would be able to score, which would be the the key thing. But um, I, I, I liked it as a semi-shootout. as like a 41-31 game. But given the news or potential news that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is out, I like Oregon by like four touchdowns. So give me Oregon on the minus 16 and a half. I will take Oregon as well. I've picked them to cover uh, both weeks. And they have, so I'm going to, you know, with just the question about DTR not being able to go, Oregon played at home, and maybe UCLA getting sort of a false positive from beating a not-that-good Cal team that we thought would be pretty good. Uh, I think the Ducks here. It would be great, great if we got it at 13.5, but um, see, Dave, if we recorded this yesterday, we could have got the 13.5. It would have been beautiful. But we wouldn't have known the DTR. Did you know the DTR stuff on Wednesday? No, uh, the first rumors about it were coming out like uh, midday today. Okay. Uh, um, so it's it's that's the way the, the thing is, the fact that it's bubbling up, like the first things I was hearing about it were about noon and then it's bubbling up now around four. Um, that makes me think it's real because um, sometimes you just hear stuff and it's like, is that fake nonsense but the fact that it's coming out in multiple different avenues and the fact that vegas is adjusting to it makes me think it's real yeah all right uh we're both on the beavers and we're both on the ducks let's see where we go from here uh we got the arizona wildcats at the washington huskies uh arizona is uh um and washington is Um, this is at 5 p.m. on Big Fox. Uh, Washington is an 11-point favorite at home over Arizona. Uh, I think uh, – so I got strong late-period Chris Peterson vibes from Washington in that last game. Um, weird kind of baffling fourth-down decisions, um, inability to pull away from teams, um, just uh, – just, Absolutely dreadful to watch offense, um, even if it is successful a lot of the time. Um, so I, I are we just looking at a Chris Peterson team? Is that really what this is? Like what what, what do you think? Because that does inform that early my returns, decision yeah. on this cover. Like it informs my decision significantly on this cover. Yeah. Because I, Washington's way more talented than Arizona, but I think Arizona's feisty, and I think Washington is coached by Chris Peterson still. Like he's like a Zoom call and just they're talking. Basically just a clone of him. So yeah. I I think I like Arizona to cover the 11. 11 feels too much. I think if it was Washington by like six or seven, I would take Washington. But 11 feels too much. So give me Arizona. I think they lose by 10. But yeah, I, is, I don't I, I don't like Washington to blow out anybody right now. This is this bothering me because we have agreed uh, on all these. But I do agree with you just having seen what Arizona was able to do um against usc and and keep it close it's tough you know it's good you know road game um i'm really leaning towards arizona but now as i'm talking about it, i'm like well maybe washington does it but i i feel like i don't know washington's capable of doing that yet so i'm not going to uh I, it's a lot of points 
double digit favorites haven't been great when we were picking against them, except, you know, when Oregon does it. The fact that Arizona has a feisty enough offense, the defense looks a little bit better. Um, you know, Oregon State, you know, hung with with uh, the Huskies. So I, I feel like this is probably going to be a, a touchdown kind of game. So I will take the 11 points, knowing full well that Washington could put it all together and just blow the Wildcats out. Well, and that's the thing is Washington's a lot more talented. And we are like denigrating Washington quite a bit when, you know, it's it was like literally the first game of the uh, of the Jimmy Lake era. So, you know, obviously there's going to be a, a curve. So. Um, but yeah, it was, it was maybe a little bit disappointing only because they started off that game kind of gangbusters against Oregon state. Um, so maybe they, you know, ditch that like late period lull in that game and they just come out gangbusters for 60 minutes and they look like the best team in the league that could totally happen. But, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pump the brakes on my Washington stuff and, and go Arizona plus 11. It's tough when you don't have a real good feeling and it's a double digit spread. It's like, I'd rather just take the points and feel pretty good about it. Um, if you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, Washington wins by 17. You're like, all right, yeah, they look pretty good. Yep. Uh, all right, next up, we have the USC Trojans at the Utah Utes. USC, Utah, thump. Uh, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. USC is favored by three on the road at Utah, so give me Utah straight up. Uh, I think they win the football game because they always win in Salt Lake City. Over the Trojans. Um, we haven't seen Utah. No idea what to think of them. Um, I think they're going to be, uh, I think they're going to be able to play the game. That's my read on the tea leaves, and I think they're going to have most of their crew back. Um, just kind of looking at what they're saying, sort of. Um, we could be wrong, but, you know, and they've also had extra prep time. You know, this is time that they've had to prepare for essentially this game um, ever since basically Friday. They've known that this is uh, the next game on the schedule because they had the UCLA game canceled. So uh, I think they're going to be raring to go. I think USC, um, because they didn't lose either of the Arizona games, I think there might be some because the kids don't get it from the fan perspective. Like they're not sitting there thinking about it from like the, wow, we look like crap. They're thinking about it in that like raw, raw, you know, player way where they're like, Oh, we won two football games. We're riding high. We're ranked the whole thing. Um, I don't think they have that sense of like, we need to get revenge in the next game that you have sometimes when you're coming off of a loss. I think there still might be some like false bravado there. So what I'm saying is I think Utah wins this. I, I, you have very sound logic in all of that. And you know what I always do. Uh, I'm going to buck the trend and I'm going to pick USC. Damn. Just because you want to be different? Not because I want to be different. Um, because this is, uh, this one of those things where there's a chance that DTR doesn't play and it just, there's enough there. There's a chance. And what, what we don't know about Utah is who's still out. Um, Kyle Whittingham is not disclosing anything about, you know, he hasn't even announced who the starting quarterback is going to be. I feel like there's enough of an advantage of Utah not having played a game yet. And USC is already playing two and Utah might be without some key players. We don't know. Um, there, there's guys that were out for COVID and likely still going to be out for this game. They could be walk-ons. They could be starters. Uh, the whole secondary is a, is going to be like freshmen, sophomores. I mean, it's a really young, inexperienced secondary. I think the defensive line for Utah is going to be very good. But USC's strength is the wide receivers. 
the offensive line can you know keep Keaton Slovis safe just for a couple of seconds, I think the receivers are going to be able to beat Utah secondary. We saw what they did last year. Now I do feel like the inexperienced secondary for Utah might change their mindset because last year they were like the only team that tried to play man to man against USC's receivers and they got burned by Matt Fink. Um, everyone else drops back into his own. Uh, I think Utah will do that with their inexperienced secondary, but still there's just enough of these X factors, Dave, that I feel like I'm going to pick USC uh, in this one. If it was more points than three, I probably would just take Utah, but just a field goal. I think I'm going to take the Trojans in this one and then probably regret it when we do our show next week. That's exciting. I, I love it. Again, your comfort level being wrong is uh, is one of the things I admire about you most. Yeah. Well, hey, I was four and one this week, man. I, I'm winning hey. this year, by the way. I'm, I took the oh, lead. Whatever. Just I am I am so upset about that Washington State one because I <laughs> that that game was so close for so long, and I'm like, I got this in the bag. And then Oregon just putting up bullshit in the fourth quarter. Fuck that. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, I like that. Okay, um, so we disagree on that one. And we have one last one to preview because uh, the uh, the other game, uh, Arizona State and Colorado, was canceled. But this one is Washington State Cougars at Stanford Cardinal. So this is Washington State. Wow! Uh, and Stanford. Uh, um, this is on at 7.30 on FS1. Stanford is favored by two, which is insane. Washington State should be favored, or it should be a pick em. Washington State will win this football game. Um, Stanford is not good. They are, in fact, bad. Everyone should realize that now. The lines do not appear to be realizing that. That is a concern. Um, I don't see any reason... Stanford should be favored in this game, aside from the fact that their name is Stanford. Um, if you've watched the first two games, um, Stanford has been mm, unimpressive uh, and at base, basically all levels. I'm not sure exactly what they do well. Washington State, I think, has been pleasantly uh, has been a pleasant surprise on probably both sides of the ball. So give me Washington State to win this one. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, again, I don't know why Stanford's favored in this one. Just like last week with Colorado, uh, the line at least come down has come down. But, I, yeah, I think Washington State wins outright. So there's no, yeah, no question in this one. I will take Washington State as well. And uh, it's just taken a while for people to catch up with Stanford on this one, I think. So uh, I I did, like I said before, I thought they might be a little, there. there's some, you know, there's some positives there, but. In general, I just I think Washington State's going to be a lot more fun. They're going to be more dynamic. They're going to score touchdowns and maybe Stanford kick some more field goals. So let's uh, I'll go with the Cougs and we'll see how that ends up. Very cool. All right, so those are all our previews. Um, we got to go to some questions now. I think is Hithliday our first one. I believe. Let me get in there. Hang on. Uh, yes, Hithliday is our first one. So uh, I think me, I can handle this one. Okay. <clears throat> His subject line is "shuff" rhymes with "duck," which is an interesting <laughs> thing to write because uh, it's it. I, I I insist it does not rhyme with "duck" under any circumstances. It can rhyme with "do" or "duff," um, or you know, I'd even give you a "doe," but it does not in any way rhyme with "duck." 
did he change it? Did he change the pronunciation when he became a duck when he when he joined Oregon? That's the only way this makes any sense. <laughs> False. It is not shuck. Uh, here are the NCAA passer ratings for all Pac-12 quarterbacks through two weeks, along with their national ranks. Do these match up with your perception so far? Do you boys see any surprises? All right. So at number one in the Pac-12, number 16 nationally, uh, number four in your hearts, Shuff uh, for Oregon, <laughs> uh, 171. At number 29 and number two in the league is Sam Neuer at 156.2. Close behind him at number 30 nationally and number three in the league is Grant Gunnell um, from Arizona. At number 40 um, is Dorian Thompson-Robinson, number four in the league. Uh, Number five in the league, number 49 overall is Keaton Slovis. Number six in the league is Jaden Delora, number 52 overall. Uh, Number seven in the league and number 58 overall is Jack West from Stanford, which is funny. Uh, at number seven in the league is Tristan Jebbia at, uh, number 99 overall. Uh, number eight is Jaden Daniels at number 102 overall. Um, at number nine is Davis Mills at 105 overall. Um, at number 10 is Dylan Morris at 107 overall. And at number 11 is Chase Garbers at 112 overall. Um, okay. Big surprises for me. Um, I think based off what I've seen so far, I think, uh, I don't know if there's surprises because I watched the games, so it's not surprising to me that the guys at the top are the guys at the top. I think it doesn't necessarily line up with my impression of these guys as players. I think Jaden Daniels obviously is ranked really low here with one data point of one game, um, and passer rating doesn't include what he was able to do in his, with his legs in that game. Uh, I think Davis Mills is probably better than his ranking here. Um but aside from that, it all kind of matches up with my impressions of them from their games. Um, so I don't know if it's surprising. Um, it's just, you know, kind of the way it's shaken out based off what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think, I mean, Neuer, I mean, the way he's played has been great. But I thought it would be more of a mixture like he was effective with his legs, too. But the fact that his passer rating, just pure passer rating was that high uh, was interesting. Greg Goodell, same way. I mean, he he ran the ball effectively, too, but was also able to. Uh, throw it at a really high clip. Um, yeah, but for the most part, you know, this kind of makes sense from what from the games we saw. Like, I wouldn't have put him in this order preseason, but, you know, and some of these, you know, have only played one game. You just don't, you know, it's hard to say. Um, is Chase Garber going to get a lot better? You know, probably. Is, is Davis Mills going to be a lot better? Yeah, I think, I think they will. But, you know, it's, this is kind of early. I don't really like looking at these things after a game or two. It just... I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the, the data just kind of sucks, but it's going to suck this year no matter what. Even six games is a small sample. Yeah. Um, he gives us the uh, passer rating formula, so you can look that up if you want. Oh, yeah, please don't read that. Please don't no, read that on there. I will not. I, I'm surprised you read all the, the list. I was like, wow, impressive. Um, all right, this is Alex at SB for revenue distribution. Hello, Dave and Ryan. You didn't wish you a happy birthday. Come on. Come on, Alex. What are you doing? I know. Jeez. Uh, usually on the rare occasion, I write in, I have a joking or trolling question for the Lutz, but today I have a serious question. Okay. It's very obvious we're playing this stupid college football season because teams slash athletic departments slash schools want the, he puts four dollar signs there, which I assume means they want the money. And the fear of not playing could decimate school athletic departments. Do we have any idea how revenue is being distributed this season? 
Are all schools getting equal payout regardless of how many games get canceled? Or are canceled games equivalent to not working and making no money? Is Utah financially screwed compared to the schools who have played two games so far? Okay, fine. So as far as I know, they're splitting it evenly, right? That's yeah, and there was um, and there's an actual dollar figure. It's like it's almost a half a million dollars per school for every game that is canceled. I believe that was the number. It might have been John Wilner. Somebody tweeted something out like 485 grand. I think that's what it was. Where so a game gets canceled, every school is on the hook for you know they're losing money. So it should be evenly distributed, Alex, but. Any game that isn't played, you are losing money. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Okay, fine. Dave, I want you to have some fun, too. How drunk slash ill-prepared were the announcers for the UCLA game Sunday, constantly praising uh, Azarino's defense and the graphics department, too, constantly having the wrong down and distance up throughout the game? Thanks, guys, and go, go Bruins, Alex and Santa Barbara. Yeah, I usually am watching with like the sound turned down because especially if they're really inane. Um, so I wasn't hearing a lot of the like as an praise, but I got thrown off because they kept listing, um, especially the, I think it was the end of the first half where they had it as UCLA still having all three of its timeouts. And I don't know if Chip Kelly got confused, too, but he called them like as if to get the ball back. And then they didn't have any more. Like, they didn't actually have enough to cause uh, Cal to have to give them the ball back with, like, I don't know, it was like 40 seconds to go in the half. So it just ended really weirdly. And the Fox, uh, the telecast is still showing them as having a timeout left. And it was just like, why didn't they use that timeout? But they'd used it earlier. Um, They just didn't record it on the telecast. So, yeah, it was a very, very poor production. I'm going to assume, you know, some of that was due to the you know, having to happen kind of on short notice and maybe they had to change staff or something. I don't know, but it was pretty poor. Yeah. there. I mean, there, there was, you had to put a whole game together in like a couple of days. So there might, (laughs) I'm sure there were some logistical issues trying to do that. All right. This is from Keon. Um, So Keon uh, sent us an email last week. I actually looked, it went into our spam folder for some reason. um, So we didn't get to it. Um, But this one, He was able to get through to us, um, and it's basically the question from last week um, with some modifications. So he's giving us a bunch of true or false questions for us to start off the week. Uh, True or false, there is another 9 a.m. game this season. True. Yeah, I'll go true just because we had the one that we didn't expect on a Sunday. So if that's a possibility... I mean, I think that's probably more likely than a Saturday big I think that's the formula. If they have to cancel a game on a Friday, it'll be a Sunday morning game. Yeah. I like that. Uh, true or false? Cal plays a game at home in 2020. Uh, I'll go true. True. True or false? The college football playoff selection date is pushed back from the current date, which is, uh, I believe, December 20th. I think false. I just feel like they should, but there's just so much. There's just no flexibility there. They just seem so inflexible and. It doesn't seem to matter. It's like they've just picked this date and everything else has to move around it. And all everyone's scrambling and they just won't move the date. So I, I think false. Yeah, I'm leaning more towards false now. Uh, true or false, the Pac-12 Network broadcasts a football game in 2021. I'm going to say false because there's so many cancels that there's just there's enough spots in the regular networks and they need the money. So I think they're going to go any game they can sell. 
2021. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Um, ooh, I like that question better, obviously. Uh, I'm going to go false, too. Yeah, I'll go false. I think uh, I think it goes it under. might end. Like, yeah. we might not have it anymore. Yep. Um, true or false, two ACC teams make the playoff? False. Uh, I'm going to go true for right now. False. Uh, true or false, Cal wins a game, period. So he oh, crossed shoot. out. I, I got to look. I got to look. I got to look. All right. So we. I don't have them beating Oregon State. Uh, I, oh God, my computer. Give me Cal's schedule, you stupid thing. Oh. That's, that's how you got to tell a computer what to do. All right. So Oregon State, we've got them losing. Stanford at home, that's the opportunity. Yeah. That's on a Friday. They're not going to beat Oregon. I don't think they're going to be Washington State. Um, I, I would say true. I think they're going to win a game. They'll beat Oregon State or Stanford. I'll go false. Uh, Utah plays a game, period. True. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, there's another Sunday game this year, this season? True. True. Uh, there is a Pac-12 game canceled due to weather, not COVID. False. Like... I think you could do yeah, that in a normal year, but like this year, like they would figure something out. No, they're like, going to oh. play in a hailstorm. Yeah. yeah. Or they'd play it on Sunday or something like they, you know, like yeah. normally like, oh, we couldn't, we couldn't move it like this. Now you're like, screw it. Yeah. We'll, we'll play in JC, whatever we got to do. We'll play somebody. The SEC and ACC moved to nine conference games after seeing what it feels like to not have cupcakes in 2020. False. Yeah. Uh, I think it would go false, but I think it's, I think that's going to help the cause, though, to like get something moving in that direction. But I don't think it's going to happen like right away. Oh, the other thing with the weather, they could just switch it, right? They could just switch venues, which they normally would never do, but they could do it this year. Yeah. Um, true or false, somebody makes it through the entire season without being eliminated in the suicide pool? Uh, I'm going to go false since there's only one person there left. But, but Kim, you should uh, send us your picks or, you know, just... You can just email us or whatever you want. Um, you know, here's where we pick this week, and we can just keep track because there's only one person. So try to try to get throughout the whole season. That would be great. All right, there's like a million more of these, so let's rapid fire them. Oh, sorry. Uh, Utah only manages to play a single game all season and wins the South Division with a perfect 1-0 record. False. False. You can't do that. Carl Durrell is on his way to a 10-year win streak over UCLA a la Stanford. True, baby. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. That's the funniest possible timeline, and I want it now. Let's go true. Uh, Ryan moves up from others receiving votes in Shane's final end of season top 10 rankings. Very true. I went four and one and four and oh in the scheduled games and picks against the spread. So I got to move up. I don't think that was impacting his rankings, frankly, Ryan. All right. Well, it should. We'll, we'll go true. Uh, Dave and Ryan go to couples counseling because of last week's episode. Uh, we've false. already been. So that's technically <laughs> false because we resolved all of our issues. We were uh, way more harsh on Twitter than we were on the show. We just, I, I like listening to Dave's point of view, and we are, I think we're very reasonable. But on Twitter, it's kind of fun to bitch. It's fun to just kind of get shitty with each other. Uh, yeah. Bonus political content. Feel free to ignore if Ryan is still pissed off at Dave. Uh, true or false, Trump concedes the election? Uh, I think true, but just kicking and screaming. Yeah, no. it's. It, I think it's just full babying behavior right now. Um, and eventually he'll just kind of... 
I don't know if he'll do it in some grand way, but I think he'll eventually leave the White House. Um, yeah. <laughs> true or false, Dave puts a Biden 2024 sign in his front lawn. That's a big false. False, false, yeah. Uh, true or false, Mike Leach runs for the Republican nomination in 2024. <laughs> uh, I'll say false, but 2028, talk to me. Yeah, talk to me. Talk to me in 2028, but uh, no, not in 2024. We got John, our buddy John and Bray, always smart. Uh, Flea market, dear Dave and Ryan, or Ryan and Dave, he said, I thought it was great to see the Pac-12 bring back the Sunday morning Rose Bowl flea market in the form of a college football scrimmage. Here are some of my flea market finds and a few items that were overpriced. The finds, Chip Kelly's old Oregon offense, dusted off and cleaned up a bit. It looks pretty good out on the back patio. Arizona Wildcats 3-2-6 defense. Is this an actual antique or something new made to look old? I think it says, quote, desert swarm on the back, but I can't quite make it out. Whatever it is, it's kind of cool and might be worth more in the future. Uh, I think I think Arizona had like literally just only had a couple of linebackers. And even though they wanted to run a three, four, they had to put more DBs out there. I think that was more. Hey, you know what? It looked really good. They should keep yeah, doing it. Whatever. Keep it. Um, the Colorado Buffaloes, the vendor who brought it has no idea. I'm sorry. The ben- the vendor who bought it. No, no. The vendor who brought it has no idea how much it's actually worth. I'm buying it, but I hope it fits in the car. <laughs> the car- oh, so they brought it to the, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Flea market. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you got to understand your flea markets. Come on. I'm, yeah, I've, I've not been. To, have you been to that free flea market thing? I've not been. To a flea market in my no, life? No, the one yeah. at the Rose Bowl. The Rose I Bowl. I don't know, man. I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think I have. All right. So those were the fines. The overpriced ones. The USC offense, similar to those replicas of signs made to look valuable, but in the end are just fake. Cheap paint on pressed <laughs> wood. Wow. He's a USC fan and not happy with that. Uh <laughs> Which is weird because I mean, when you're watching essentially like one of your your coaching legends, but you're watching him in real life, you know, somebody who's going to go down in the pantheon um, and watching him and, and not appreciating it is it, that's striking to me. It is striking, yeah. Okay, intellectual brutality. Back in the day, this piece of furniture was worth something. It's old, but the style is dated and now unattractive. And then the Golden Bears, these things really should be appraised before we put a tag on them. <laughs> John and Brea. Thanks, John. I, I, I love it because those are kind of my takeaways from this. Like those are the strong takes. Um, so that's that was good. I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up, we've got Perk, I want to say. Um, big fan of the podcast. I currently go to Ohio State. But my lifelong dedication to watching Pac-12 After Dark has led me to not only being in my fraternity's Pac-12 gambling chair, but also a big fan of this podcast. All right. So I love that his fraternity at Ohio State has a Pac-12 gambling chair. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. They're doing it right. Frats are doing well. Uh, David's sarcasm is just elite, as I've had to stop what I'm doing at work because I'm laughing too hard at what he said multiple times. His take on the IPA drinker crowd is spot on. If they're not talking about their favorite IPA, they're either going on about how their Subaru Outback's gas mileage is second to none or debating which is the best Dave Matthews Band album. <laughs> uh, my questions are primarily for David, but would also like to hear Ryan's take. Uh, one, why does the UCLA community seem to care so little about football success? It seems as if their fans shrug their shoulders after every 4-8 and eight season as if UCLA couldn't possibly be good at football, despite the fact that they have the resources to do so. Um, 
Well, Perk, the issue is that UCLA's fan base has been uh, beaten, just just abused, I want to say, for about uh, the better part of 22 years. Um, there's basically been one pretty good period um, since 1998, and that was the Jim Mora, like, three or four years, depending on what you want to call 2012 or 2014 and tw- maybe 2015. Uh, besides that, it's just been unmitigated disaster after unmitigated disaster. Um, and I think there's obviously there's still a bunch of them that care. Um, but I think it's just, you know, when you get to the point where you finally make the big hire, you, you, you hire Chip Kelly, it's the, you know, talked about hire and the whole thing. And then it's, he's maybe literally the worst coach in UCLA history. Like, how does that happen? And I think there's a little bit of just kind of, um, you know, a, a little bit of woe is me, a little bit of uh, nothing can ever go right, a little bit of UCLA, you know, the Rose Bowl is built on an Indian burial ground and uh, it's just always going to be cursed. Um, I think there's a lot of that, but I agree with you. I think there's always UCLA more than anyone in the Pac-12 besides USC always has the ability to turn it around pretty quickly because of the ability to recruit in Los Angeles. Um, and now maybe Oregon is rising to that tier. Maybe Washington is rising to that tier. But I still think the UCLA recruiting base, it's a, it's still easier to recruit to UCLA than it is anywhere besides probably USC. Um, like I think if you compare Oregon to UCLA, like the amount that they have to put into recruiting is probably less at UCLA. Like they yeah. should be able to get a really strong talent level more or less every year. Um, so the turnaround is always just one coach away. It's just, it seems like with each successive coaching hire, it's it's further and further away. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're seeing. Um, I agree with any, you. Yeah, anything to add? No, I mean, that, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. All right. Two, is there a chance the current UCLA AD, Martin Jarmond, is just waiting on his hire at Boston College, Jeff Halfley, to become the replacement to Chip Kelly at UCLA? BC has looked decent this year in Halfley's first year as head coach, and given UCLA's current trajectory, Chip Kelly will probably be gone after next year. Could you see him going back to grab Halfley, or do you think he'll be pressured to get a big-name hire? Um, no, I don't think there will be a pressure to get a big-name hire. I think he's going to have a lot of freedom in his first hire. Um I don't know if he's going to go back to that well. I've liked Halfley, um, or the job he's done so far at Boston College. I was a little skeptical of him, but um, I think he's done a really good job so far. Um, but I think it's going to depend on timing. Um, I don't know if he, he's not waiting um, on any particular person to replace Trip Kelly. It's going to be a question of timing of when they can actually get rid of Kelly. Um, you know, and I think that's. TBD. They might not be able to make that call after this season because it's a shortened season. It's weird. They might win enough games that would be kind of politically untenable, so on and so forth. Um, Buyouts concerns with the financial situation at UCLA. Um, There could be a lot of reasons why you have to wait at least another year Um, and things could change. I mean, Halfley, I I don't think he's going to be a small name guy when the job comes open. I mean, that's going to be two years, probably at least into his tenure at Boston College. And he might have his eyes on, you know, going and getting some big, big 10 job or whatever. Um, You know, might maybe he lines up with when Michigan's looking for a new coach and they like him because he was, you know, at Ohio State. I don't know. Um, So It'll be interesting. I don't think they should go for a big name guy. I think they should go for 
one of the things we've seen with you know Chip Kelly, but before that Jim Mora is um, if the guy isn't really engaged with um, you know isn't really fired up to prove himself because um, I think they're getting that on the basketball side with Mick Cronin where he's still in prove myself mode. Um, or if you get one of these internally driven psychos like Saban or Meyer, but if you don't get one of those guys, if you get one of these guys who had a really good run and then has to build it up again somewhere else, I'm always a little bit worried about their fire for doing that. Um, and I'm not saying that's halfly, but he will be coming from another head coaching job and it's just, you never know what, what, where somebody is on their trajectory. So, um, I think he's going to have a lot of leeway to not necessarily go after whoever the hottest name is, but instead go after somebody who's, you know, got a desire to prove himself. And I would, yeah, I would agree. I think when you're talking about a program that's went out of their comfort zone to get a guy like Chip Kelly, and I thought it'd be a great hire. You know, everyone said like, this is great. Like this is something that UCLA needed to do. They never do this, go out and do it. Well, they do it and it's a freaking disaster. So you're probably not going back to that well again, unless something kind of just just really falls into place. I think you do go find someone that's more of a an up and comer that can do more with less and see what they can do with the the kind of recruiting base that that UCLA has. So yeah, I, I think that's the way they're going to go, and it's, I think it's a good spot uh, for Martin because he you know he's going to have some good options out there. I think, and he can put his stamp on the program with a hire that he vets and he figures out who they want to bring in. And if it works out great, you look like a genius. And if it doesn't, then it's just sort of like the same old. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then finally, he has a U.S. history question for me. What are your thoughts on former secretary of defense, Donald Rumsfeld and what football coach past or present would you pick to have led coalition forces into Iraq? Uh, keep up the Larry Scott slander. Love listening to you guys. Um, I don't have super nuanced thoughts on Donald Rumsfeld. I think he's um, among the you know worst people in American government in the last you know fifty years. Um, I think mo- much of that uh, Bush cabinet, if there is a hell, they should rot in it um, for everything they did with um, devastating Iraq. So uh, yeah, Rumsfeld's a bad guy. He was a bad part of basically all the bad things that have happened in this country for the last like 30, 40 years. So that's about him. Um, coalition forces in Iraq. Now, this is a good question. Um, who Who's kind of the most general-like, the most inspiring, has the best strategic mind um, among the Pac-12 coaches right now? All right. I've Who got one you? guy in mind. I've got one guy in mind. Just one. Is it Kyle Whittingham? No, it's Herm, baby. Herm. All right. I like that. Dude, he would motivate you. You would run through a brick wall for that guy. Um, or, you know, shoot some civilians, whatever. Uh, but you do it for that guy. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd go Herm Edwards on leading coalition forces into Iraq. All right, let's go to Chris from Seoul. Uh, who wins? Hey guys, I really must compliment Mr. Woods on his prescience. Okay. Yeah, that's basically my ability to foresee. Ooh, your prescience when you adopt but Don't it. worry, he's being sarcastic and he's being sarcastic about something that I don't remember at all the context of. I don't remember. It's kind of either. a common thread with with our man Chris these days. Okay, uh, so when you adopted BYU for 2020, all before a game was played, and when it looked like the Pac-12 would not have 
A season. Okay, so where is this going? Uh, David's aversion to bragging aside, as the official 2020 adopted team of the pack of the podcast of champions, you might want to spend a bit more time discussing the Cougars. Perhaps fill in whatever Pac-12 game gets canceled. Well, we actually that's come up because they're the out of conference game thing. There's there's a possibility there that a Pac-12 team could play BYU. Uh, do you think the Cougars would have eight wins, zero losses, and be fully rested coming off a bye before the Utes even played a game without the usual patsy opponent in USC? Okay. Uh, did you think that? Uh, are, are the AP and John Wilner wrong in ranking BYU ahead of Pac-12 standard bearer Oregon? And finally, when BYU meets the Ducks in the Fiesta Bowl, who will be favored? Who will win? I haven't Unrelated- watched. I haven't watched BYU in a in. I think I've watched one, maybe two games this year. Yeah, I haven't watched much either. But they, we could see BYU play a Pac-12 team because of the out-of-conference sort of thing. Like, not this week, but, you know, I think I think next week everyone's on notice. They know now that this is a possibility, which I like that the Pac-12 did this, but they should have done this from the beginning. Like, this was sort of done out of necessity. Um, if they would have planned ahead, then I think, you know, if Colorado doesn't end up playing USC, like if, or if Utah plays, um Colorado could have had an opponent this weekend, and now they don't. But I do think if there's going to be a situation where just a team is out and there's no Pac-12 opponent that can be played, BYU would be a, a good option. But he says, unrelated but burning question, who's better, Rolo or Leach? I mean, Leach as a coach, um, just his track record long-term. But Rolo could rise to that level. It's just not as much of a track record. Yeah, he's played two games in the Pac-12, so we we got to give a little more time. Leach, is, Leach started off like gangbusters in the SEC, but it's kind of fallen off <laughs> since then. Um, David might want to temper his trademark cynicism. BYU has used faith, independence, and not playing Washington to achieve great things. He really has this BYU thing going on. Like, I have I feel no like idea. what the, I have literally no idea what this is. There's like an inside joke that I don't know what it is. Is that? I do not know what's going on. Okay. The podcast, podcast of Champions remains the best, most listened to Pac-12 program in Korea. And the Pac-12 Network's main channel is free here, part of Larry's Pivot to Asia. Take care, mask up, and stay safe. Chris from Seoul. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I don't, I, we must have said something about BYU at some point, and but I'm yeah. not. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Um, Dave Young sends a really great uh, tweet to us, which is a tweet okay. from Christian Capel that says, What if I told you Dylan Morris's middle name is Jacob. And uh, that's true. That is a true fact. So who is Washington's Dylan Morris? The Washington quarterback. You're, <laughs> you're stepping on the jokes, Ryan. <laughs> I love it. You would have known him if his name was Jake, and now we know that it is. So I think the next step, the next step of his evolution as a quarterback is to go by his middle name. He is now Jake Morris. We're going to call him Jake Morris going forward. Um, and then once he is done at Washington, if the next quarterback is not named Jake, they will rename him. He will be anointed Jake. Um, and that will be on and on through the generations, through the many years of Washington quarterbacks. All of them will carry the title Jake. They have to be a Jake in some yeah. way, shape or form. I Don't even it. call them the quarterback anymore. They are the Jake. They are uh, the... You have you have Morris, the Jake. Um and that's the position he plays. He plays the Jake. And now he is the Morris, and then he will hand it off to, you know, whatever. Whatever the next one is. Yeah. 
I was thinking you were talking about some like political thing or something. Like, what is this? I didn't. Know, I wasn't sure what the heck they were talking about. But that makes sense. I was like, I'm not getting the joke. But we're also like almost two hours into this podcast, so oh, there we go. We got one last question for your birthday. Uh, first, of all the listeners, Dave's Twitter is can't miss entertainment during Pac-12 game days, especially during UCLA games. And I'm a Trojan. You all need to follow. Uh, so at David David Woods, if you want to follow him. Uh, now to my question, David and Ryan, you both are clearly not happy with Chip and Clay as your head coaches. Who would you rather have between the two at this point? Let's say it meant having them for the next three years. There's been a lot of coaching changes in the conference. Are we sure they're not in the top half of the Pac-12 coaches? What other six coaches would you all have ahead of them? Thanks, Danny, for that. Um I can think of more than six coaches. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so who would I rather have at UCLA besides Trip Kelly? All right. Uh, Jimmy Lake, because I would actually be, you know, maybe a little bit uncertain about the situation. Nick Rolovich, yes. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Smith, yes. Mario Cristobal, yes. Uh, Justin Wilcox, yes. David Shaw, yes. Um, Kyle Whittingham, yes. Oh, here's a fun one. Carl Durrell. Yes. <laughs> uh, Clay Helton, no. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, no. Herm Edwards, yes. There are two no's for me. Yeah. Um, two. I'm t- wow. For, this is tough. Uh, I think I think I'd go with yes in the entire North. Uh you know, maybe, you know, Jonathan Smith. I mean, I I would for over Clay Helton. Um, definitely Herm, definitely Whittingham. Probably not Sumlin, not Chip Kelly. I, I might give Carl Durrell a no also, but uh, it'd be two or three no. So, yeah, we can think of more than six. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's sometimes you just need a change, you know, sometimes you just need a change. <sighs> well, we got through this. We got through your birthday show, David. Woohoo! We made it. Nice. Uh, well, happy birthday. Enjoy. You, Hope you get all your picks right, except for the uh, USC Utah game, because I picked I opposite. It. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, but that the rest, I hope you get them right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying. I'm picking up what you indeed are putting down. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Unless you have anything else? Nothing. Not a bit. My mouth is just really not working anymore. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. That is David Woods. We are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.